Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 46. Hear now the word of our God. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So far in the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we come to the end of Christ's sermon here, it would be as people transformed and changed, sanctified, and continuing to seek your work within us. So use even this conclusion of the sermon to draw us more into conformity with our Lord and his desires. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the application section of Christ's Sermon on the Plateau, or uh, if, if you understand this to be the same sermon that's in Matthew, uh, just shorter, then it would be the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. Christ preaches this sermon and comes to the finale here with a real challenge. Remember, he's preaching to his disciples, the the kingdom of God on earth, his people, citizens of his kingdom, and he's challenging whether all of them there really are citizens of his kingdom. Openly, they profess him with their tongues, with even, even some... We could say outward actions. They've left their jobs for the day to come out and hear Jesus preach a sermon. There's there's some action there. And yet there's no reality to it. And that's what Christ is calling us to in the conclusion here. He ends this sermon by calling us to an active profession. An active profession. The blending together of word and deed in service to Christ. I I think we sometimes miss that emphasis because we so quickly read these verses and we gravitate towards our wonderful hymns, uh, none of which that I'm about to mention uh, uh, we're singing today. Uh, Christ the solid rock, uh, how firm a foundation, um, We could go on and on, right? In Christ alone. uh, Christ the sure and steady anchor. I I know that's a different set of imagery, but we have all these hymns that focus on one aspect of these verses, that there is a stable rock, Jesus Christ. And, And then we stop there. 
When really, that's just one of the factors in the account Christ gives. But his point isn't about, I'm the rock. That's assumed. His point is, are you on me or not? And what does it mean to be on me? Is it to sing a wonderful hymn or a praise song? Is it to say something only with your mouth? Or is there something more to being on the rock of Christ? A life that fits the profession. A life that reflects the words. And that's Christ's emphasis here. You call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things I say. If I'm really your Lord, Master, King, then you're a traitor if you don't do the things I say. That's, That's implied in that first verse, isn't it? We, we don't think in terms of Lord, Master, King, because we're Americans. And so we're, we're free people. But we should immediately go to that thought that if someone is your, your monarch, your king, your Lord, then it's treason to not do the things they say. It proves that you're not a, a patriot or a faithful subject. And that's what Christ is getting at in the end of this. He's shown us the things he desires from a faithful subject. He started with the Beatitudes, which emphasized that we are to live not for this world, food, pleasures, riches, the love of others, but we are to live in light of eternity for him and for eternal, eternal life in Christ. He showed us that we are to love our enemies even when they're hating us actively. He showed us any number of these things. Do not judge. Uh, be judgmental as we saw last week, but, but be discerning starting with yourself. He's put before us all these factors of what He desires out of His citizens. Now He says, you might, we could maybe paraphrase almost. He gets to the end of the sermon and, and people are saying, Amen. Well, why do you say Amen if you don't go out and do it? And if you don't really live it? That's his point. That's what he's getting at here. Building on the rock, then we could say, according to Christ, is our very actions and lifestyle being in accordance with our profession of faith. Our lifestyle and our actions being in accordance with our profession of faith. In one sense, this, is the per- this conclusion comes right out of his last point he made. You can look at it right there. His last point to us about examining ourselves was... The good tree does not bear bad fruit. If your profession of Christ is real, then there will be real good fruit that comes out of it. Self-examination then led Christ to this conclusion. Why do you call me Lord and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them 
I will show you whom he is like. To profess salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is not to sit lazily in our sin and filth so that grace might abound. But sometimes that's how we live. I'm not under the law, I'm under grace, so... I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. Even though we aren't attacking our sins. Rather, Christ is looking for us to live as if the solas, grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone, actively took root in grateful hearts. That's the point of this passage. I want to consider that. This idea that the kingdom disciple is one who professes the faith both in word and action. In terms of this illustration Christ gives of house building. I want to do that under two points about testing our profession. The test that Jesus gives us of whether our profession of him is true or not, is a deep test. A deep test that gets past the superficial. Superficial words. Or or even superficial actions. It is a deep test in which the entirety of our life is founded on a true profession of Christ. The imagery he uses is of one who has dug deep. The the word dug there is a painstaking word. And deep emphasizes that it is hard, difficult work because you have to keep at it. He dug deep. Uh, Most of you haven't built your own house. It's the downside of our society. It's a wonderful upside in many ways for most of us who don't have skills to build a house. But the downside is it makes some of these images that Christ puts in front of us harder to grasp deeply. Especially since we're in a culture that doesn't have to think about getting to bedrock as often. We just lay a foundation. Uh, But bedrock isn't an easy thing to get to. And that's what Christ is talking about. Getting down to the bedrock. I uh, did a Google search this week. I tried to find an online encyclopedia, but it didn't have an answer to my question. So I had to go even sadder than that because I don't own an encyclopedia anymore. And that's also sad. But I did the Google search, how far down to get to bedrock. And uh, in the U.S., I was given, so helpful, this, this. The average is between 30 and 100 feet. (laughs) That's a a big gap, 30 to 100 feet. Uh, I tried looking for what it was in Palestine, and I got all sorts of political articles And nothing talked about where the bedrock is. Um, But 
if you think about trying to dig 30 feet in your backyard without a backhoe, how easy would that be? We're in New England. You probably have some rocks in there. Roots. When, when I was uh, 10 years old, around 10 years old, I, I hiked up with my father and a friend of ours uh, to the top of a mountain in Vermont where he owned a, a cabin. And with this cabin, uh, you would come up the last little bit of the mountain, very steep. You'd come around this boulder and find yourself underneath the, the porch. And uh, it was steep enough that most of us would grab hold of the, the pillar, one of the, the posts, to pull ourselves up. That post uh, was directly down into this rock. They had drilled and chiseled and gotten this post down in there and then cemented around it. And uh, I was so amazed by that. Wow, this must have been hard to put the post into the rock. And my friend said, Nathan, that's not the rock. That's just shale and stuff. The rock is, this was 30 years ago, so I, maybe I'm wrong about the number, but the number that I keep thinking of in my head is 60 feet. That they had drilled down 60 feet through shale and other types of rock to get to the bedrock. And they had anchored it into the bedrock. And this cabin's not going anywhere. Sometimes at night in that cabin, it feels like you're going to do a Wizard of Oz thing, just be lifted right off, cabin and all, into the wind. But whenever I was awake at night and felt like that, I reminded myself what my friend said. This isn't going anywhere. It's in the bedrock. Christ says, true discipleship has a cost. It's a deep test. It's a difficult test. Because what it requires is deep and difficult work. The one who not only listens, but really listens and applies it and lives it out. Christ says it's like one who digs deep to find that bedrock so that he can build the house upon it. Therefore, if it doesn't feel like there's any real cost to your discipleship, you should reassess whether that discipleship is grounded on Christ, the bedrock, or not. J.C. Ryle puts it like this. The cost of discipleship may entail on the disciple pains, labors, and self-denial to lay aside pride, lay aside self-righteousness, to crucify the rebellious flesh, to put on the mind of Christ, to take on the daily cross, uh, take up the cross daily, to count all things loss for Jesus' sake. All this may be hard work. Like how he put that? It might be hard work. I, maybe a little sarcasm there. It's hard work. Self denial. Putting aside pride and self-righteousness. And that's just to get to the bedrock, isn't it? 
Christ says he has dug deep. And then he lays the foundation on the rock. And clearly Christ is saying the foundation is do my words. Do my words. It's a deep, deep test. On the other hand, there are many who make a shallow profession. Empty of any real value or stability. And sometimes that even includes the name Christ, doesn't it? If, if Christ, if your profession of Christ is Christ as your good example and nothing more, you haven't dug deep enough. Because you haven't dug deeply enough into your own condition, your sin, and your guilt, for which you don't need a good example, you need a Redeemer who died to pay atonement. So if your confession of Christ is nothing more than a good example, you haven't dug deeply enough. Or some kind of accepting social guru, uh, helpful in your personal journey to find yourself, well, then you haven't dug deeply enough. Finding yourself still leaves you with the wrath and curse of God. What you need is to find yourself and then find a Savior from yourself who will change who you are. Not only saving you, but sanctifying you, making you more like Himself. And of course, we could come up with other examples of a shallow profession couldn't we? We can also think of shallow, shallow actions. You know, trusting in, I went to church, right? There's your real profession. Whatever words you use, but you're trusting in the action. Sunday morning, I was warming a seat. But that's, that's not a savior. It's just a folding chair. It's not going to be enough. Now some of those things feel stable at a passing glance, don't they? If, if I had been standing at the base of that cabin and there's the shale that looks certainly like real rock to me, and if I had taken my fist and I had punched it as hard as I could, something would break. It wouldn't be that shale, would it? It wouldn't be all that uh, topside rock. It would be me. It would feel stable initially. I was around 10 when I first saw it. I um, went up most years, but then I had about a four-year period where I couldn't get there. I was in college. After college, I hiked up by myself to do some uh, some seminary uh, uh, coursework uh, without distractions. And I hiked up there one winter and I got there and I noticed underneath this cabin that the space seemed a lot more between the ground and the cabin than it used to. And that's the opposite of how it's supposed to be, isn't it? 
uh, it was like 15 years later, it should have been smaller to me in between the cabin and the ground because I'd gotten bigger. But a lot of topsoil had washed away. Even the shale had started breaking away when weather and time passed. The cabin was still secure. But, But imagine if in building it, they had drilled through 15 feet. It's hard rock. It wasn't an easy task. Good enough. What happens with weather and time? It erodes away. And if you're not on the bedrock, you haven't gone deep enough, it will not stand. The second thing, the second thing that I want us to consider about this test of our profession is that this is an eternally significant test. It's not just a deep and difficult test. It's an eternally significant test. And if we miss that with everything else, just look at the last sentence of the sermon. Imagine Jesus preaching this sermon, reading this sentence and saying, let's pray. The end. And the ruin of that house was great. There's an eternally significant value to this test. Because the destruction that's great, Matthew shows us, is eternal. We'll come back to that in a moment. But think about the imagery he uses. The floods come and wash the house away. You've seen enough flood this year, haven't you? All these flash floods. Driving along one day, I looked over on the side of the road about a month ago and realized I didn't see any dirt. There was the road and then it just dropped off and all my brain could ask was, I wonder how far that washed. How, how did de- I got into the other lane? No one was coming, so I got into the other lane till I got past that. We're, we're very familiar with it at this point, aren't we? You drive along, you see a dam broken on the edge because the, the water was too much for it to handle. You see roads washed out, you see people's houses flooded and, and destroyed. There is great significance and importance to a stable bedrock foundation. Because if something like that comes along, everything can be washed away. The floods Christ is talking about, I think he would intend us to see two aspects to it. The floods uh, speak to the the trials and sufferings that we have in this life, the hard days and times. A a shallow profession's all well and good until everything goes wrong. And then will you really profess Christ at all? 
Or will your life just devolve into a rack? At the same time, we can say that Christ is speaking of the great final flash flood of the future, that day when he returns in ultimate and complete judgment. And this this universe is put through the refiner's fire until all that remains is the new heavens and the new earth where only righteousness dwells. In the process, there will be great judgment on the wicked. I can say that this flood refers to both things because if you look at the two different sermons we have put before us, the parallel passages, Matthew has a focus on the final judgment. In fact, uh, he directly references the final judgment. You will not stand the last day. But Luke seems to have more of that focus on in this life, the trials you experience. And here's the important thing. We've, we've all known people. Actually, maybe we don't know the people. We, we won't know those people until eternity who, who make a profession and for a long time through a lot of different uh, pains and hardships in this life seem to remain stable. For a while, that shale can look secure. But even if you make it through this whole life with a shallow profession, on the last day, it will be washed away in the flood of God's wrath. The true disciple who digs deep and builds on the bedrock of Christ will find himself or herself secure and ready to weather both the floods of this life and the final judgment. As all that pride got put away. Did you notice? Uh, talked about the, the digging deep and the putting off. I think Ryle said pride and, and that type of thing. Notice what we read with Peter earlier. We read about the shallow profession. We read about that and Ezekiel. They're going to come and listen to you and your words are going to be like music. But they're not going to obey them. And we read with Peter also of the final judgment. Did you see the humility that God's people had there? Wait a second. When have we done any of the things you mentioned, Lord? And he says you did them for the least of these. You did them for me. Building on the foundation of Christ. Doing the things he says. And as we dig deep to do that, we we receive this humility. There's no legalism at that final judgment for the people of God, is there? When did I do any of this? If I was keeping score and tally of of all that I've done for you, empty, nothing. All the legalists are the ones on the other side, aren't they? Lord, when didn't we do that for you? Their profession is too shallow. And there's eternal significance to this all because there are only two final destinies. Heaven and hell. In a couple of weeks we'll be thinking a little more 
about judgment. So I'm going to leave it at that for today. Friends, to profess salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as I've already said, it's not to sit by lazily in our sin, but rather the true disciple is one in whom all those things have taken root in a grateful heart. The kingdom disciple is one who professes the lordship of Christ in both word and in action and deed, in obedience and reverence. As the Holy Spirit declares so forcefully in Romans chapter 6, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Reckon yourselves, therefore, to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. This is also what the Holy Spirit is declaring through the Apostle James. When, when he declares, James the brother of our Lord, when he declares that a hollow faith, a shallow faith, an empty profession is not enough. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith, that is an empty profession of faith, by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Is your life established deeply on the firm bedrock of Christ? Does your profession, does your house fit the foundation? Do you hear him and do the things which he calls on you to do? Or are you only a theoretical professor? May we repent of all such empty words and bow before our King in grateful service each day. Let's pray.